Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, May 31st, 2023, the 861st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, before we get started, just a note for those people listening on Rumble. I hit the wrong button when putting up Friday's episode last week, and it made it so that the video went live, but private. 
So I've switched it back to public, but I don't think that anybody was actually notified that this video came out. So there should be a podcast that came out, I guess, on Sunday with the two day delay. It's called Common Conversation. That's Friday's podcast episode. So if you missed it, you can find it just by heading to my page and the content stream there. Now, yesterday, we had part one of Can't Hear Trump. So today, we're going to do part two of Can't Hear Trump. And just a recap, a little recap from yesterday. It's honestly best to go back and listen to the episode if you haven't yet. I'm going to build on a lot of things that I talked about yesterday. So that's going to be much more effective than listening to this brief recap. But essentially, what I discussed was this. I showed the clip from the great 90s movie, White Men Can't Jump, where Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, their characters are arguing over whether or not Woody Harrelson's character as a white guy can hear Jimmy. Wesley Snipes is trying to say that you have to be black to hear Jimmy. And it gets pointed out that the members of his band are white. But he was differentiating between listening and hearing. Wesley Snipes' character was saying, you can listen to Jimi Hendrix. You can turn it on in your car and the sounds will go in your ear. You can intentionally listen to those sounds, but you can't really hear Jimmy because you're not getting the full context and meaning of what he's saying. And Wesley Snipes' point was that it was because Woody Harrelson's white. Now, the problem that we have in the real world is that people can't hear Donald Trump, and it's because they don't want to hear Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't sound the right way. And the way Donald Trump sounds to them is easy for people like them to pick on because they make sounding a certain way, sounding that college-educated way, one of the most important markers of someone's intelligence. And if you don't sound that way, you're probably stupid. Now, they do this with a lot of characters in the America First movement because a lot of people are more plain spoken than the average college educated person who thinks they're very smart based on that college education. They don't sound like the people on TV. They don't sound like the experts. They don't sound like the celebrities in their interviews. Very polished, very succinct, using certain vocabulary, avoiding other vocabulary. There's a certain style of speech that is easy for a certain kind of person to respect and take seriously. And if the speech they're hearing doesn't fit those characteristics, they're not going to take it seriously and they're not ultimately going to hear it. You could say Mike Lindell is the same way as Trump. Are they trying honestly to communicate what they know to the best of their ability and have the best possible effect on their listeners and on the country? Yeah. Do people take them seriously? No. Why? Because of their voice. And they don't like or they don't think that they will like the things being said. But again, they've never actually heard what these people are saying. The people who hate Donald Trump's voice don't go to Trump rallies. They don't watch Trump rallies on TV. They don't watch full Donald Trump speeches. They see little clips on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, and they think Donald Trump is dumb. Look, the TV just made Donald Trump look dumb again. Therefore, Donald Trump is dumb. I've watched him. I've watched him for years. That's what they say. I've heard everything the man has had to say. I heard him say there are very fine people on both sides. And I believed it because it was on TV. I heard him say, grab him by the pussy. 
That was on TV too. And I heard him say it. And that's how he is all the time based on these 10 seconds of Trump speaking that I have now communicated. I've definitely seen. So trust me, I've heard him in full. And so to illustrate this, I was discussing the example of Trump's communications with and to and his public communications about Kim Jong-un back while Donald Trump was publicly recognized as president. And in particular, the tweet that he wrote where he talked about how he has a big red button and his big red button actually works, whereas Kim Jong-un's does not. It is a smaller button. He's not going to press it. And if he did press it, it still wouldn't work. That was what Trump said to Kim Jong-un. And people freaked out. They freaked out hard. Why is Trump being so dangerous? How can he talk like this to a nuclear armed world leader? He is going to get California nuked. He's so dangerous. That's what we were told. And nothing happened. He created a peaceful situation between North and South Korea and got them finally to cross into the demilitarized zone. Obama and Hillary constantly threatened that there would be war with North Korea, but there was no war with North Korea. Was that war supposed to happen under their plans? Under the globalist regime, had Trump not won? Yep, that was supposed to happen, but it didn't. Because North Korea is a global regime, CCP, CIA, proxy state. And Trump knew that when he was communicating with Kim Jong-un and about Kim Jong-un. So Trump's words were understood by Trump. They were understood by Kim Jong-un and the people in control of Kim Jong-un. They were understood by people in the global regime, and they were understood by anyone who was sophisticated enough to understand that there was a higher level conversation going on and that the TV wasn't telling the general public about that higher level conversation. They were only convincing everybody that Donald Trump was dumb and dangerous, couldn't control himself, has a massive ego, and he's going to get us all killed. Last week, Donald Trump made a similar post this time about Ron DeSantis. He said, Rob, my red button is bigger, better, stronger, and is working. Truth, exclamation point, yours does not. Per my conversation with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, soon to become my friend. That was his post, and people went absolutely ballistic. They said, this is so stupid. What does it mean? No, you're so stupid because you're getting angry and you don't know what it means, which you just admitted to everybody. If you don't know what it means, how can you know it's stupid? Maybe it means something other than what you're assuming, and it's not stupid. And of course, it does mean something other than what those people who got mad are assuming. Donald Trump knows what it means. The people controlling Ron DeSantis know what it means. And the people in the global regime know what it means. Anybody who is aware of what leverage Donald Trump has over Ron DeSantis know what this tweet means. Who doesn't know what it means? Well, most of Ron DeSantis's supporters, including those very high level paid supporters in the coordinated info op that's been going on for seven months, they don't seem to know what it means. Either that or they do know what it means and they're lying, which is fine. I mean, that's just how political communications go, particularly with people with no morals and principles. And if they had morals and principles, they wouldn't be supporting a candidate to replace a candidate whose election was stolen. So we can get down to the bottom of that real quickly. But let's push that aside for now. They don't know what Donald Trump is saying. Other people do know what Donald Trump is saying, which makes his communication to them highly effective. There's no confusion 
in the lines of communication among the people who need to know. Now, am I sure I'm right in the interpretation of what Trump is saying? No, I'm not. But I'm not in that need to know circle. Other people are. And I would imagine that what Trump is saying is crystal clear among those people. And you can know that's true because those people who are threatened by what Trump is saying go absolutely bonkers about what Trump is saying. And then all of the barking seals all over social media repeat it. They all get crazy. Or, 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 what does Trump mean? It's so stupid. Or, 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 or. Okay, guys. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess you got it. The people who know what Trump means got scared by this and freaked out. And now you're scared. You're just picking up on their fear and repeating it. And Donald Trump is the stupid one in this scenario. Okay. And it's worth noting that the people who get upset about Donald Trump tweets like this routinely get upset about Donald Trump tweets like this. They think it's a very big deal that people get upset about Donald Trump tweets like this. And they know that the world would be made much better if people could just stop getting upset about Donald Trump tweets like this. And rather than the solution to that problem, an easily solvable problem, rather than the solution being that people should stop getting upset about Donald Trump's tweets, especially when they don't understand them, the solution is that Donald Trump has to stop tweeting this way because they don't understand it and it upsets them. Or Donald Trump just has to remove himself from politics forever. He just has to go away forever. Just so nobody ever has to deal again with Donald Trump tweets like this. Sure, we have world wars and we have the encroachment of a global regime within years of completing their actual stated agenda for world domination. We have stolen elections and censorship. We have medical segregation and experimentation being forced by the government. We have the potential of quarantine camps. We have countries giving away their sovereignty to global governing bodies. We have the advancement of AI and the transhuman agenda. And we are going to focus on Donald Trump tweets like this. And while that's happening, the people who are telling us that Donald Trump tweets like this are destroying the whole planet. Those people are saying we need to have a high level political conversation that really gets into the details of important policy matters. Seriously, it was the same people. I shared that yesterday from the New York Post article. Very serious intellectual conservative writer A.G. Hamilton tweeted, DeSantis has been talking about detailed and substantive policy issues for the last hour. This is what you get from Trump. If people want idiocracy and entertainment, Trump might be the better option. If you want substance on the right, DeSantis is it. That was essentially Ben Shapiro's response as well. And many of the establishment conservatives in Con Inc. Media jumped on board and said the same thing. Those were the talking points. That was meant to be the response. Ron DeSantis is serious. Donald Trump isn't. We are going to focus on Donald Trump's tweets. We're not going to focus on the serious things Donald Trump says, and they just keep going. These mean tweets are the point of everything because they can't hear Trump. They don't try to hear Trump. They don't want to hear Trump. Everything they hear and see when it involves Trump, actually, when it involves anything at this point, they are so obsessed with Trump. They are as Trump deranged as the people on the left have been for eight years. They have been this Trump deranged for the entire time. No, it doesn't matter that they voted for him once or twice. They are obsessed 
with Donald Trump and view everything in the world as whether or not it helps or hurts Donald Trump, or perhaps at this point, even whether or not it hurts their own personal feelings in regard to Donald Trump. But no matter what, we're talking about people who admittedly cannot understand what Donald Trump is saying or why he's saying it, thinking that they are the smart ones and Donald Trump is stupid, even though the intended targets of Donald Trump's communications understand exactly what he's saying. They can't hear Trump. Now, we have another perfect example of this just since I finished the podcast yesterday. Trump said this on Truth Social. Kaylee Milktoast McEnany just gave out the wrong poll numbers on Fox News. I am 34 points up on DeSanctimonious, not 25 up. While 25 is great, it's not 34. She knew the number was corrected upwards by the group that did the poll. The rhinos and globalists can have her. Fox News should only use real stars. Now, that is kind of worth a chuckle. Is he mad at Kaylee McEnany? Who cares? Kaylee McEnany is fairly irrelevant. Kaylee McEnany basically backed out of the fight early in 2021 and went and took a cushy job at Fox News. Does that make her a bad person all by itself? No, maybe not. We'll see. Who knows what Kaylee's future looks like? Who knows what her role is now? Maybe Kaylee McEnany is totally on board with the entire program totally pro-Trump and is just keeping her cool, keeping her powder dry, doing her job, allowing things to play out in the world, and she will have another role again in the future. That's totally possible. Donald Trump could be joking around with her. Maybe Kaylee's laughing her ass off at Trump's post. Or maybe she's smart enough to know what Donald Trump is doing. One of the DeSantis supporters who was out there yesterday freaking out about how Donald Trump said something mean about Kaylee McEnany, put up a tweet saying that what Trump's problem was is that he didn't understand what Kaylee McEnany was saying. You see, there was one poll that had him 25 up and one had him 35 up, and she just referred to the wrong thing. She just said the wrong thing. How could Donald Trump be such a jerk to Kaylee McEnany, even though Kaylee McEnany worked for him and the paid and coordinated DeSantis op people all went out there and got really upset about this. Steve Cortez, who just threw his allegiance in with the DeSantis simps a few weeks ago, he was worried about how Kaylee was being treated. And he said, when Trump treats his former employees this way, why would anyone go work for him? because that is another one of their tactics. Trump surrounds himself with bad people and his behavior makes all the good people not want to work with him. Now, in kindergarten, that makes sense. And that's how things work in the real world, in politics, especially presidential level politics. That's not how things work. If Donald Trump calls someone and asks them to serve the country and that person says, no, you know, sorry, sir, I don't think I can do that based on your mean tweets from 17 months ago. Well, that person is not a very good and faithful American, are they? If Trump hires someone from the deep state, from the GOP establishment, and that person turns out to do very bad things 
and Donald Trump lets them go and then says bad things about them. And then those people are all supporting Ron DeSantis. The argument kind of breaks down. And that is what is happening in every single one of these cases. The Republican establishment is throwing their lot in with DeSantis. Now, you can believe whatever you like about that, whether it makes Ron a bad guy or not, whether all of this is happening external to Ron and they are just pushing Ron in with a public narrative to try to take down Trump and Ron's not really part of it. Whatever excuse you like is just fine. Whatever explanation, because we don't know. Ultimately, we're going to learn more. We're going to find out more. And Maybe the softer approach on DeSantis is right. Maybe DeSantis is 100% on board and doing everything right and will be seen as a national hero in the future for doing it all and taking the personal sacrifice and taking the hit. And gosh, wouldn't the world be lovely if that was the case? But it's also possible that Ron DeSantis is just part of the globalist regime. Either he's been corrupted Maybe he's been compromised or maybe this is just who he is and he likes the reward and he likes the regime program. Maybe he's a nihilist that doesn't think humanity does have a better future and we really would be better by submitting to the machine. It's possible that he thinks that. Do I think he thinks it? Eh, probably not. But how the hell do I know? We can go on a couple of things, though. We can go on the fact that major players in the global regime are supporting him like Ken Griffin. Reed Hoffman was out there thinking about it. These are not good people who care about America. Ron has never answered what he really thinks about elections in this country. He's torn down election integrity in Florida. He has centralized the election integrity movement so that the Florida government has more control over election reviews, not the Florida citizens. The Florida government, the task force Ron set up. So are we supposed to put that as a credit in his column? That is the biggest issue in the country. And Ron is an absolute zero on it. I didn't make it that way. I'm not going to change my principles because Ron is the new conservative hero. Now I have to like that guy better than Trump because I'm a cultist. Otherwise, come on. We are straight up in bizarro world. We are deep in the false reality when it comes to Ron DeSantis. And I'm going to keep fleshing this out. And again, none of that has to reflect on Ron. None of it has to reflect on anyone who just likes the cut of Ron's jib, right? It's okay to have liked Ron. It's okay maybe to even like Ron right now, but let's at least understand it, right? Can we talk about it? Because Trump's been out there getting vetted and hammered and attacked eight years. Everybody has access to information that supplies them with virtually everything they could possibly need to know about Donald Trump. Much of that information, as it was disseminated from the mainstream, was replete with dishonesty, smears, character attacks, totally made up hoaxes and conspiracies. And the funny thing is that virtually everyone understands that fact too. But Ron hasn't been vetted. Ron hasn't been vetted at all. Trump endorsed him in 2018. He became Florida governor. He spoke out against woke things. He spoke out about different parts of COVID after having gone along with all of them first. He talks about how great Florida is. And that's about it. That's about all anybody knows of Ron DeSantis. And we're supposed to just say, oh, yes, this is the guy to carry the mantle of the people forward into the future. We can trust this guy 
to solve the problems of the rigged elections, even though he doesn't talk about it at all or how he'd solve it or even suggest to the majority of Americans who know our elections are rigged that he cares. Again, this isn't biased talking. That's a fact. He just doesn't talk about it. There's no indication that he cares. He has signed legislation that makes the elections less secure. And he is running on the fact that he can win elections knowing they're rigged and doing nothing about them. And he's going to say, trust me, I will have the last rigged election as soon as I'm in. The elections will not be rigged after that, but the situation exists as it does right now. And I know everybody knows they're rigged, but in order to beat that rigged system, we need to elect one last candidate in a rigged election. And that'll be me. And then I promise you, after you rig the election for me, you will never have to rig an election ever again. They'll all be safe after that. I'm going to start talking about election integrity all the time, and then I'll put in a package that fixes elections all across the nation. Oh, it's just like what the Democrats were trying to do with H.R. 1, right when Joe Biden took office as fake president. Now, will that happen? I guess we don't know, and hopefully we'll never find out. But there's no reason to believe it won't happen. Ron DeSantis is not supplying a reason to not believe that. And we're told that we're crazy for making that complaint. What? What are we supposed to think of Ron DeSantis? He hasn't proved otherwise. We don't need to give him the benefit of the doubt just because he seems like a nice man. That is the standard that we are being told to abide right now. Ron DeSantis, he seems nice enough to forgive just about anything and forget your priorities completely. We keep being told by these very same people that we are in a cult, that we will forgive anything. It doesn't matter what Trump does or says. We'll still say it's good. No, we'll find out what it means. We will try to find out what it means. And in the meantime, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, on the other hand, what we are looking at from the other side of this debate that people believe is intramural, I'm not sure that's true. I don't think it is. We are told we are too forgiving of Donald Trump. We cannot admit when Donald Trump does wrong, whatever he does, we're going to forgive. Except all these people are still totally locked in to conservative incorporated media. Think about it. Think about how much conservative incorporated media has done to steer this country wrong over the last few years. Does anyone stop listening to Ben Shapiro? Does anyone consider that Ben Shapiro might be on the other team? No, we're told he's really good at picking on liberals. And so that's good. And he's bringing people in our direction. No, he's not. He's just shifting their position within the globalist ideology. They're not saying no. They're saying, oh, you know, the left has it just like not quite right. We're talking about people who went along in full with everything COVID masks, lockdowns. They talked about these all as serious policy issues. They took the left's position seriously on all of these things. And they thought that they needed to find academics and scholars and research papers to prove 
to some of the dumbest people on the planet that masks don't work, even though the entire history of science knows masks don't work. And they couldn't even stand up to masking children in school. They couldn't stand up to any of it. They went along with the left to a point on the George Floyd riots and the summer of love and the race war that they tried to ignite in this country. Sure, they said, oh, they're going overboard. Oh, they really are burning down cities and looting stores and creating insane violence throughout our culture. But they never talked about how the left was just lying about what happened to George Floyd because they were scared of that conversation. Donald Trump talked throughout 2020 about how the left was angling to steal the election in 2020. And they said Donald Trump was threatening our democracy and the integrity of our elections and the people's faith in our elections, suggesting that the people should have otherwise had faith in our elections while knowing they're rigged. And then they covered up those rigged elections. They made the same arguments leftists on MSNBC made like Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes or Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo and Joy Reid. Baseless claims. There's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Look at all these court decisions. That's what they did in the media. They went along with the insurrection narrative. Did they say the left? Oh, they're weaponizing the Justice Department. Yeah, they say that now. In January and February of 2021, while Donald Trump was being impeached for the insurrection after he wasn't president anymore, they didn't say a thing. They took the claims seriously and analyzed the claims of the left. They barely lifted a finger to censorship, barely lifted a finger to all the propaganda. Sure, they're very concerned with wokeness because they figured out which one has Wee wees and which one has hoo ha's and they talk about it all day long. They do that. They'll talk about that all day long and ignore the rest of the stuff while they lead all their listeners to ruin and the country to ruin. But their listeners don't stop listening to them. They don't punish them. They don't even argue with them. They just go on believing, well, they were mostly right at the time. They were mostly right at the time. They were mostly right at the time. How many times can you say that? while they're leading the country to ruin. How many times can they be wrong about something important? Ben Shapiro told people to get vaccinated. His wife is a doctor. He was following the experts. And that's what he said in his apology. I got tricked by the experts. Well, no, you didn't. You tricked your audience because you never checked. Same with the election. Same with everything else. But we're told again and again and again and again and again that these people are actually on our side. What they're trying to do is something very intricate. They're trying to get people who aren't on our side to come more in our direction. You see, the thing is, they have this real connection with people who aren't on our side. And through their use of their media, you know, all the talent they have and all the, the money and the funding that makes it very Flashy looks just like a professional newscast comes out on video. They got everything perfectly written into little sound bites, and then they make clips go viral with their big social media teams. Those people have this connection to these people, these normies on the left, and it's the damnedest thing. They are able to make these normies on the left believe whatever they say, which brings them in our direction. That's why I keep listening because what it does, they, they just get their audience to believe whatever they say. 
and they bring them in our direction. That's why I listen. You understand? They get their audience to believe whatever they say. And yeah, yeah, so that's it. So they get their audience to believe whatever they say, and they have a very strong connection to people on the left. That's why I listen to them. Have you figured out what's wrong with that yet? And have you figured out a way to distinguish that behavior from what we are being accused of in the quote unquote Trump cult? They can walk the country directly to ruin, telling them where they're taking them the entire time, totally anti-Trump the entire time and wrong about all of these issues. Cannot the Daily Wire do wrong, my fair cultist? We are the cultists. That is all over media. The people following Donald Trump are the cult. We will do whatever he says. Also, he told everybody to get the vaccine. Well, which group didn't get the vaccine? Turns out to be Trump supporters. We are the most anti-vax group in the country, by far, hands down, absolutely zero question about it. It is so true that we are that, that anti-vax became associated with Donald Trump. They were calling anti-vaxxers QAnons two years ago. QAnons and Trump supporters, so anti-vax that they are identical at this point. And the people making excuses for Con Inc. media like they must be right about our elections. They must be right about Ron DeSantis. Call us cult members. No, no. You're just still in the party of false decorum. And again, it's okay. It's okay. But let's recognize it. Because making excuses for Ben Shapiro, who's done nothing but make a million dollars a week while lying to America is far more cult-like than suggesting that the man who's been taking all the slings and arrows for the last eight years for the people of America, trying to improve their country and their lives and take back the country for them, should be given the benefit of the doubt sometimes before you go absolutely crazy about something he said that you didn't understand. The idea that this could even be this way. This conversation should not be happening right now. This conversation is indicative of a total inversion within the false reality. This makes the opposite of sense. But yet we're told this is the smart thing to believe. Donald Trump supporters are cultists and everybody who's tuned in to the real conservative media knows it. That real conservative media special connection with the left, able to make people believe whatever they say. And they make a million dollars a week doing it. All of them support the Ron movement. None of them were censored and were supposed to listen to them about who is going to lead this country's efforts against the global regime. Maybe it's time to try hearing Trump. But back to the Kaylee Mack and any truth post for a second. Trump is saying he's mad at Kaylee. He makes fun of her. He calls her a silly nickname, Milk Toast. Milk Toast was spelled incorrectly. It's spelled Q-U-E and Donald Trump spelled it with a K in milk. And it means bland and boring and unexciting. Those are not words that you would generally use to describe Kaylee Mack and any. 
especially not as White House press secretary, where it kind of seemed like she was a joy and nice and humorous, confident. She's pretty enough. People loved Kaylee and Trump seemed to love Kaylee. Everybody liked Kaylee. Kaylee did not see milk toast. Now Trump is calling her milk toast. Now people are upset that Trump is upset at Kaylee. Kaylee is a perfect angel. Donald Trump is being a mean, bad orange man again. What could he possibly mean? It's so stupid. Well, what was the net effect of what he did? He literally has Ron DeSantis's paid info op. And again, detach Ron if you like. The rest of his people are still doing the thing they're doing, and it must be understood. It must be analyzed. Sorry if that hurts your feelings about Ron, but this is what it is. People are saying these things. What are they saying? Well, they are basically making a viral issue out of Donald Trump's anti-Kaylee post that forces them to tell everyone that Donald Trump is up on Ron DeSantis by either 25 points or 34 points in those polls. By making a big deal about this, they are showing everybody that Donald Trump knows he's up by a lot in the polls. So everybody else does. And now he has Ron's own people sharing it, either because this is just an info op or because these are the most incompetent people of all time. And gun to my head. I don't know which one it is. Ron's comms people are sharing Trump's outstanding poll numbers just because they had to react in the way they always reacted. What does this even mean? This is so stupid. They don't know what it means. They just know it's bad. Well, who else reacted like this? Go see for yourself. Use your search engine, even use Google if you want. I mean, this isn't research, so who cares? You're going to get information about what normies are seeing from Google. Type into your search bar, unhinged Trump attack Kaylee McEnany and see what you get. You'll get all sorts of headlines. USA Today, unhinged. Now Donald Trump is attacking loyalist Kaylee McEnany. PJ Media, unhinged. Trump attacks his former press secretary, Kaylee McEnany. Mediaite. Ex-Trump official defends attack on Kayleigh McEnany. Also mediaite, conservatives condemn Trump's unhinged rant against Kayleigh McEnany. Forbes, milquetoast McEnany, Trump attacks former press secretary. Salon, attacking Kayleigh McEnany is insane. Right-wingers turn on Donald Trump. Every single headline is the same thing. What is Trump even saying? He's so stupid. Also, his poll numbers are massive over Ron DeSantis, and now the whole nation knows it. So why did Trump do what he did? Could it have been this? And people are like, no, no, you're just trying to figure out a way that that Donald Trump is always the smart one. And that we're we're always the dumb ones when we get really mad about something, even though we don't understand it. You can't do that. That's called behavior trying to trying to understand what he's doing. Well. We've been saying it for a really long time. People were saying it before I even understood it and liked Donald Trump. People were saying it from the beginning. They were saying, look what Donald Trump does. He makes everybody mad. And then all those angry people, they spread Donald Trump's message everywhere to everyone so that everyone gets the underlying information. The headline, unhinged Trump 
attacks Kaylee McEnany, the body, Donald Trump up 25 or 34 points on Ron DeSantis. Why does he do it? What does it mean? He's so stupid. No, no, he's not. He is not the stupid one. He is the one playing stupid people like a fiddle because they think they're really, really smart and aren't. Which side of this debate sounds like they are in a cult? And for that matter, what is the total inversion within the false reality of a cult? I would suggest it's a hate movement. A cult would be the worship, the religious style worship of one figure to the point where you will reject the rest of the world, right? In favor of whatever you are told to do by that authority figure. Is that what we are doing with Donald Trump? Well, the answer is obviously no, or we would have been the people most vaccinated. Instead, we are the least vaccinated. We did not believe that Donald Trump was telling us to get the vaccine, and we did not get the vaccine despite everyone else believing that Donald Trump was telling us to get the vaccine. What is a hate movement? A hate movement is where that same cult-like obsession is focused rather than on worship and adoration for one man or one man as representative of a group. It's that same obsessive focus on one man or that man as an avatar for a whole group. But rather than that being the direction of worship and adoration, it is the direction of hate. And we have a hate movement right now directed at Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters. It has all the features of historical hate movements. You can look back at every single thing we're told that Nazis did and that communists did in the 20th century. And this movement represents all of them. The anti-Trump movement represents all of them. Did these people encourage all of these policies? No, but they went along with it and they didn't stand up against it because they knew it wasn't directed at them. They stayed on Twitter having the same conversation. They accepted the mainstream narratives, even when it included the usurpation of this country because they were too scared to stand up and fight. And they knew that Donald Trump was just so bad they could say that they didn't stand up and fight because of how bad Donald Trump was. And that would be enough of an excuse for everybody because everybody else in the hate movement would agree. Yes, Donald Trump and his supporters are so bad that it justifies you dealing with absolutely anything and favoring that over Trump and his supporters. So sure, steal an election. Fine. Turn the entire justice system against the American people. No problem. Medical experimentation and segregation. Well, guys, you're going a bit too far, but I'm not going to stop you if you really want it. That's what we got from mainstream conservatism for the last three years. Anything at all is acceptable because we are the problem. That is a hate movement. We're not in a cult. They're in a hate movement. And if you told them that, what would they try to do? They would try to reverse it and they would say, no, 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 no. You are in the hate movement. You have always been in the hate movement. MAGA is the hate movement. We've been told that by the television for years and years. White supremacists, Nazis, MAGA extremists, blah, blah, blah. We are the most anti-Ukraine and anti-Ukrainian Nazi, but still we're the Nazis. I get it. Whatever it takes, they say we are the hate movement. 
But we don't want anybody's rights restricted. We don't want anyone censored. We don't want propaganda. We don't want any medical experimentation on anyone. We don't want people disarmed. We don't want people taken to camps. We don't want children to be groomed or their genitals to be mutilated. We don't believe in racial or social underclasses who shouldn't have the rights and access to the rest of our culture. We don't support any of the features of a hate movement. And despite how awful the communists have been and what they're doing to this country, we want to convince them not to be communists anymore. We're not trying to have them loaded onto trains and taken away. Throughout COVID, we heard Democrats and people in the regime, the trusters of science, not a cult, don't worry, tell us that children should be taken away from their parents if their parents wouldn't vaccinate them. We're not in a cult. That's a hate movement. And if your first reaction to everything a certain person says is to figure out how that makes that person the worst person in the world, the sort of person that should be pushed out of public life and never heard from again, you're not experiencing justified anger about people who won't admit they're wrong. You just hate Donald Trump and you don't want to hear any explanations for why you shouldn't hate him. And it honestly sucks that we're going through this again, but it is what's happening in the public conversation right now online. This is the public conversation that is getting the most attention in the world right now. And you can say that's bad. You can say it's divisive. You could say it's a distraction. None of that's true. This has to be something that is gone through and dealt with in order to get us back to the place we need to be. This is a sifting process and people do need to be sifted. People need to understand that being mad at Donald Trump is not the reason to turn the keys of the nation over to someone who is supported by the regime just because you like the things he says on television. It's not okay. And no one's going to be okay with it, especially while you're covering up election fraud in order to do it. You gotta hear Trump. You got to try to understand what's actually being said rather than just choosing a team. And this is what's playing out right now in the debt ceiling debate. And people can't understand what's going on for whatever reason. People are very upset that they might raise the debt limit. I totally get it. In principle, you're 100% right. In a normal world, you're 100% right. I would not argue with you at all in a normal world, but we're not in a normal world. And so rather than just choosing which team is right and which is wrong, and then supporting the people who associate with the team and assuming that those people are the good people based on that association, we actually need to figure out what's happening in the narrative on this issue. Okay. If you believe that it is the worst thing ever to raise the debt ceiling, and it's very, very bad. Don't get me wrong. They should not be doing this sort of thing. But again, we're not in a normal situation. So you can't just pick out a politician who says, I'm a hard no on this. We should not do this and think, oh, that's a good guy. We have seen that that is not a productive way to go about these things. It's very easy for very conniving and insincere politicians to latch on to a position in a policy debate and raise their national profile and win a lot of people over to their side only to turn on them completely over and over and over again, making a big display of themselves on one issue. They get all of this 
trust and confidence from the people for an extended period of time. And that may be what Nancy Mace is doing right now. Maybe Nancy Mace is just fine and just good. We'll see in the future. But right now she's becoming much more of a household name while taking a strong no position on this debt ceiling raise while being pretty soft on absolutely everything else. She was on War Room today with Steve Bannon talking about how abortion was going to be the national issue of the 2024 election. No, no, it isn't. There's no one calling for a national abortion ban except the Republican establishment. They're trying to make it a big deal. The Democrats, the Uniparty right, is helping the Democrats on the Uniparty left make abortion this national issue. It doesn't have to be a national issue. The Supreme Court sent it back to the states. Argue it in the states. It's not a national issue, and it's not even really being argued in the states. They want to make it a national issue because that makes it sound like Democrats have a close election in store for them. And it makes excuses for why Republicans lost in certain places. Nancy Mace just used it as an excuse on War Room today to explain why the Jacksonville mayoral race went to a Democrat, even though Ron won that area by 12 points only seven months ago. A 16-point swing, and Nancy Mace is out there telling us that was all about abortion. Well, that isn't true, and it can't be true. It's utterly absurd to even bring it up and try it, but that's what they're doing. A lot of people are starting to trust Nancy Mace right now because she's out there as a hard no on the debt ceiling. But let's think about this conversation and how it's developed and think about what the results are. Let's think about the narrative and the positions that people are now taking. So... Joe Biden hadn't negotiated on this debt ceiling thing at all for months. Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans passed a bill that would return spending to the levels from before the omnibus spending bill was passed in December during the lame duck session. So a law that should have never been passed and the spending that law would allow would be rescinded and the debt ceiling would be increased And at that point, Kevin McCarthy had all the leverage. The House had passed a debt ceiling increase bill. All it needed was the president's sign off and the Senate's vote. And there you go. You got your debt ceiling increase. Everybody in the media was telling us that the United States was going to default. Our economy would be absolutely destroyed if we reached June 1st or maybe June 5th without a debt ceiling increase. And we were starting to get down to the wire. Kevin McCarthy had the numbers. People in the Senate said they supported him. He was supposed to stick to his guns. Just make sure you get this deal. This is the deal on the table. Biden said there'd be no negotiating at all. Now he's negotiating. But you have all the leverage. Everyone can see you have all the leverage. Don't bend. That's where we were before the weekend. And then we got the bend. And Kevin McCarthy is the one who did the bend. It's all Kevin McCarthy's fault, not the negotiators in the Republican establishment negotiating, not any of the Republican establishment in the House or the Senate, not the national Republican establishment. It's just Kevin McCarthy's fault because he's the leader. And that makes it also Donald Trump's fault because Donald Trump supported Kevin McCarthy for his leadership position. Who opposed Kevin McCarthy? Well, 20 mostly America first MAGA Republican House members opposed McCarthy's nomination and everyone else voted for it. All of the Republican establishment supported McCarthy. McCarthy was the Republican establishment candidate being against McCarthy in the debate for speaker of the house 
was explicitly an anti-establishment position. If anyone doubts that, you can simply go back to that debate and see what was being said. The movement against McCarthy was a movement against the establishment. So McCarthy comes back and he tells the American public, we have a deal. A deal has been reached. This deal is for the sake of the American people. This is the best deal we could get for the American people. It cuts spending by a little bit. We've never cut spending before. Not true, but that was kind of the messaging. Cut spending a little bit. It's going to raise the debt ceiling. It's going to actually suspend the conversation about the debt ceiling. So we will not have to talk about it again. And it's going to suspend it until 2025. And there will be no cap on any spending until then. It'll just keep going up. Whatever they need, it's just going to keep going up. And McCarthy presented this as a win for the nation. We only have one branch of government. We only have the House. We don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. This is the best that we could do in the situation we're in. We think it's a good deal. It raises the debt ceiling like everybody on the television says is an absolute necessity. This is what everybody wants, right? You want the debt ceiling to go up. Everybody's telling us the debt ceiling has to go up or we're going to ruin the country's economy. So we got to give you the debt ceiling increase you're asking for. That's the responsible thing to do. That's what we've been told. So we got a few cuts and we're doing the responsible thing and we're going to take this back. We're going to vote on it. We'll see if the Republicans in the House will vote on it and then we'll have the debt ceiling increase. And Joe Biden and the Democrats went out there and they said, this is a big win. This is a big win. And their media went right along with them. This is a big win. Oh, Joe Biden, that crafty negotiator got us a big win. We thought that Kevin McCarthy was going to take the country down the darkest path imaginable. We're going to end in ruin because we're going to not spend some of that money that was promised by the December omnibus bill that was passed during the lame duck session. That is what is going to cause the world to end something that shouldn't have passed in the first place. The unraveling of that is going to cause the world to end. That's what we were told. That's what we were sold. We now have the responsible choice. So Biden and them are defending the deal. Kevin McCarthy is defending the deal. The Republican establishment is happy with the deal. The uniparty right and the uniparty left are happy with the deal. They don't want to cut spending. They just want the debt ceiling to be increased. Joe Biden was fighting for a clean debt ceiling raise. They didn't want any negotiations, didn't want anything else in the package. They just wanted that debt ceiling raised. So Biden, big win. McCarthy, hey, we did the best we could. This is what we have. We think it's kind of a win. Now, a lot of MAGA has gone crazy about this and said, this is absolutely terrible. You cannot increase the debt ceiling at all. We don't want this thing raised at all. We were okay, I guess, with the bill the House passed because we wanted to see you exert some leverage and you were going to be able to exert some leverage. You had all the leverage and now you've come back after having all the leverage and you have walked back your deal, your proposal, the position of the Republican Party. You have walked that back and scaled that back in a situation where you had all the leverage. This is a disaster. And a bunch of the Republican establishment media jumped on that as well because they want to score points on it. How will they score points? Well, they'll say that Kevin McCarthy is Donald Trump's fault. Therefore, it's Donald Trump's fault that this bill got passed. And so now this debt ceiling increase is Donald Trump's fault. How in the world 
Is that possible? Well, they say Donald Trump didn't come out and say enough things about this bill. And Kevin McCarthy is Donald Trump's guy again. So it's Donald Trump's fault. Donald Trump is weighing in on all this and this is what's happening. So it's Donald Trump's fault. And naturally, they have completely lost their minds because they believe that their basic read of the situation is a thorough read of the situation. All the thinking they need to do is done. It's very, very bad because the country is already in debt. We can't add four or five or six trillion dollars more debt in the next two years. It's absolutely insane. And so they explain why that's very, very bad. And then they say, and all of it is Donald Trump's fault. And here's how and why. And then they explain how and why it's Donald Trump's fault. So it's very, very bad. And it's Donald Trump's fault. End of analysis. Does that sound smart? Does that sound like the sort of analysis coming from people who are actually thinking about the situation and what it might mean? Or is this just the most basic brand of analysis we could ever possibly get? And is that reflective of everything we have gotten from Con Inc. Media for the last eight years while they have led the country to ruin and all of their audience continues to make excuses for them as if they are in some media regime cult? I would suggest it's the second. Now, we know that the BRICS nations are all getting together and more nations, as time goes on, want to join BRICS. BRICS is supposed to be meeting at the end of the summer. They're going to talk about a gold backing to the BRICS currency. That is what is expected. And maybe someday we'll get to the point of Bitcoin backing world currencies. But for now, they're talking about a gold backing of BRICS. BRICS is in direct competition with the global regime fiat dollar. And our politicians in America are trying to sign us up for four or five or six million more regime fiat dollars to be flooded into our country, increasing inflation, increasing debt, and not solving our problems. Now, if you're doing something like that, knowing that a gold-backed BRICS currency is making a major push to be the dominant world currency of the relatively near future, you're either insane or you're trying intentionally to crash the economy. Now, we know that the global regime's agenda is the Great Reset Agenda, and the Great Reset Agenda includes crashing economies, which is why they crash economies in order to install new systems all around the world all the time, and why they're doing it right now. Look at Nigeria, where they've tried a central bank digital currency. South Africa, they got the same sorts of things going on. These societies are having a real hard time right now because of the global regime and this financial transition. But there's no way to stop that financial transition, and there's no way to slow down these BRICS countries and to slow down other countries from joining them. There is no saving the fiat dollar, and it is unlikely that we are going to save the fiat version, at least, of the American dollar as the global reserve currency. Maybe we will have a U.S. dollar global reserve currency in the future, but that will be disconnected from the central banks and the global regime, ideally. We will see if that emerges. But if you can't pay back 31 or 32 trillion and you can't pay back 37 or 38 trillion, then what difference does it make? And it doesn't make a difference because the whole thing's being collapsed intentionally. And so even if this bill were to pass in its current form with Kevin McCarthy's negotiated backwards agreement, the financial collapse that is coming and inevitable does not change. All that changes by Kevin McCarthy doing this 
is the fact that now the Democrats and the regime Republicans, the uniparty left and the uniparty right, have all claimed responsibility for the impending financial collapse. Immediately, that is the most important aspect of this conversation. It's not where the cuts will be or whether or not the debt ceiling is raised. It's who is taking responsibility for the impending financial collapse. And that is Joe Biden and the establishment of both parties, the uniparty right and the uniparty left. They are going to own this thing in full. Now, the only thing that could be better than that is by hammering that point home and using the entire thing to make people more anti-establishment, to get them to understand the issue about the debt ceiling and the debt increase more, to get them to understand things about the fiat regime dollar and the totality of our national debt and how it will never be repaid and what that means to get them to understand that maybe it's a good idea to move away from these central banks. That's the conversation that's being had out there in public right now. And there are people on the left saying that we cannot pass this bill and that Democrats shouldn't vote for it. Meanwhile, the Democrat minority leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, is out there supporting the bill. So you got the leadership on the uniparty left and the uniparty right in full support of this thing with the fake president on board. And we have the rules as they were written when Kevin McCarthy and the new Congress got started in January. Kevin McCarthy is subject to a motion to vacate by just one member of the House so they can, if Kevin McCarthy passes this, go up and motion to vacate and cause a floor vote on whether Kevin McCarthy will remain Speaker of the House and what's going to happen. Are Democrats and Republicans going to get together to keep Kevin McCarthy as Speaker? What does that look like? How does that look for the Uniparty? Does that help the Uniparty for everybody in America to see Democrats and Republicans working together to eliminate altogether the spending cap for America's federal government? No, that doesn't look good for the uniparty right and left. But we might not get to that point. And the debate goes on. The debate is being had in public and the public is paying attention. The public is watching. The public is listening. They are learning where people stand on these issues and what the issues themselves actually are. They're going to learn very quickly that the whole threat about the nation defaulting on its debt and losing its credit rating with the central banks. By the way, who do you think is holding the credit rating? They're going to see that all of that is nonsense. They're going to see who's on the right side of the debate and who's on the wrong side of the debate. Americans agree pretty strongly that this is bad. They want spending cut if the debt ceiling is going to be raised at all. And that's not what they're getting. Every side in this narrative game except ours is losing again. And that's becoming pretty clear to everybody, which is why people on the uniparty right in the Republican establishment are trying to figure out ways to blame Donald Trump for what Kevin McCarthy is doing, even though the entirety of the Republican establishment supported Kevin McCarthy for speaker. It's not the entire establishment that's wrong. It's just Donald Trump that's wrong. They are making that case to Trump supporters. They are trying to win over to the Ron side. Does that make any sense? No, it is utterly incompetent. It is the result of a total inversion within the false reality. 
And again, that is where they are. This entire situation has been totally inverted. They are claiming that the least important subject in the 2024 election is whether or not our elections are rigged. They really believe they can just avoid that conversation altogether and call Ron a winner and say that our elections are fine, but that Ron will fix them once he's in office. The entire thing makes no sense. That's why it's not working. The numbers continue to plummet. Their people online are going utterly insane. Last week, I suggested they're going to start a cancel culture and that they're going to begin an effort to try to censor MAGA. They did both things Two primary members of that Ron info op, Jenna Ellis and Dave Rayboy, within two days of me making those tweets on Twitter about how they're going to start cancel culture, they're going to start censorship. Jenna Ellis went out and tried to get successfully Gavin Wax fired from his job at Babylon B. That's cancel culture. And Dave Rayboy started actively asking for censorship, claiming that. The Trump people arguing with them were not real people. They were the bots and they should be removed from the Twitter platform, even though so much of the DeSantis support online are verifiable bots. And no, I'm not talking about a study. I'm talking about my own experience. I look at the accounts. They barely have any followers, usually zero or under 10, certainly under 50. They usually have three or four posts, usually about sports or gambling or video games or something along those lines. And all they do is reply all day with the same stuff to Trump supporters. They run the same script on everyone. It's really easy to see. There's nothing natural about their accounts. They don't share their thoughts with the world. Those aren't real people. The entire thing has been twisted around, and that's the only way it can end up because the entire thing is fundamentally based on a lie, the lie that our elections are very safe and very secure. Without lying about that, then it's easily exposed that all of them are just complicit in treason. They are part of an operation to usurp this nation and cement the theft of our elections and the results of those stolen elections in our country forever. That is the necessary outcome and result of what they are trying to do. And if you want to say that they have better intentions than that and they just want their guy to win, uh, okay. I mean, believe it if you want to believe it. Honestly, believe it if you want to believe it. I'm not going to try to prove to you that you're wrong about that, but they are accepting the results of the 2020 election and other elections as true in order to make their case that their guy is the one who can win. They are saying their guy is the one who can win in rigged elections. And they're saying, don't worry, he'll fix it after he does. We have Kerry Lake, who is probably the most charismatic political superstar in this country after Donald Trump. And they all call her a loser so that they can call Trump a loser. Kerry Lake's election was obviously stolen on video in public and everybody knows it. But they're still lying and calling her a loser so they can make their anti-Trump case. That is such disgraceful behavior in a very deep way. That is so disgraceful. They hate Trump so much that they are willing to lie about Kerry Lake and gaslight everybody on what they're watching on video. Well, that's exactly what the MSNBC and CNN and Fox hosts did when it came to Ruby Freeman. 
How much of them lying and gaslighting us do we have to put up with while we're making excuses for the mainstream media like the Daily Wire and the National Review and Blaze and all these other outlets that are now fully on board for Ron DeSantis? Isn't it a little strange that media figures are coming out and endorsing political candidates in primaries a year before those primaries? Doesn't any of this seem a little weird and a little dystopian? And how is it always the Trump haters? How is it always the election fraud deniers? How is it always the Ukraine supporters? How is it always the COVID superfans? How is it always the same people who were wrong about everything being taken seriously as the people who must have been right about everything? And that's why they're so successful. That's why they get a million dollars a week to lie to people. And people are like, wait, a million dollars a week? Yeah, go back and research the issue between Steven Crowder and the Daily Wire and see how much Steven Crowder was offered to be paid to join the Daily Wire. It was upwards of $35 million a year. It's not a stretch to think that Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh, who have been at the Daily Wire forever, are getting more than they're offering Steven Crowder, is it? Candace Owens must be getting very, very rich there. Jordan Peterson must be getting very, very rich there. Michael Knowles and whoever that other guy is there that they have. All of these people are getting fantastically wealthy at the Daily Wire to lie to everybody or at least being wrong about absolutely everything that matters. And no one is upset at them. We're talking about people who still pretend Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes. And these people are taken seriously. These people are looked to for advice and guidance and leadership. These people pretend that they are the ones leading the Republican Party into the future, the establishment into the future. And if we don't go along with what they're saying, then we are doing something antithetical to the purpose of the Republican Party. And we should be disregarded altogether, even though we are the vast majority of the Republican Party at least until they rig the primaries against Donald Trump, and then no one will be in the Republican Party. And I want to spend some time thinking about these scenarios, about what it means for elections to be rigged at all levels all across the country, because people will often say to us, oh, the elections are rigged whenever your candidate doesn't win. Oh, ha ha ha, I get it. You're just saying that elections are rigged so that your candidates aren't the real losers and you can still pretend that you're winning. And I say, wouldn't that be convenient, Kami? Because that's not true. It's not true. Elections are rigged all the time for both parties up and down the ticket all across the country. The Uniparty left and the Uniparty right come into agreement about which party is going to win which office. And they will map that out in the future, and then they will implement the agenda according to the narrative needs of each party as we go into the future. Now, you might say that has it completely backwards. What really happens is that candidates go out there and they tell the truth to the voters and the voters decide who is going to represent them in the future. They go and vote 
in free and fair, safe and secure elections, the people's choice is then elected and the people's choice goes on to represent the people. And it just goes back and forth between parties because we're a 50-50 country. And it's always just ah, Democrats and Republicans, cats and dogs living together. That's how we're told it works. But it doesn't work that way. And everybody can see it doesn't work that way. We're not just finding some local hero who gets propelled into office on the power of the people, at least not very often. And we know that the elections are not free and fair and not safe and secure. If they have the apparatus in place to steal elections, and of course they do, the apparatus is in place to literally create loopholes in the simplest possible system in order to exploit those loopholes and steal elections. If they have the apparatus in place, why would anyone expect them not to use it in every situation? Of course they use it in every situation. What about the last few years has taught you that the federal government or that state governments or that political parties or anyone else involved in any of it cares about the people's choice for who should represent them? There is no proof of that anywhere in society. There's some lip service every now and then, but people don't even give it all that much lip service. We are told by our betters that we are not capable of making these decisions and that we are better off if they make these decisions for us and they do make these decisions for us and they do tell us they are making these decisions for us. We can watch elections be stolen in broad daylight and no one really lifts a finger because they trust that the regime is making the right decisions for us. They like the regime. They like the incentives of the regime. They want the regime to remain in power. They just want it to be branded in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Okay. The system is flawed, so deeply flawed and so intentionally flawed that the system should be distrusted at all times in all cases until proven otherwise. And it is never proven otherwise, which means, unfortunately, it should be all the time in all cases. That's not an extreme position if they are unwilling to prove that it actually does work in an accurate fashion. And not only do they not prove that, they cannot prove that. And this system is set up to prevent them from proving that. So there's absolutely no reason to have faith in any election anywhere in the country at any time. It is rigged in every single part of the process. It is rigged in obvious, easily explainable and visible ways, and no one should think otherwise. So if you are in a situation where elections are only stolen and the outcome of elections is nothing more than a negotiation between the people in power in the regime, generally speaking, at least up till 2016, then we can see that the only reason for all of this political debate, all of this show is to pull people in to the show, tie them to the show, make them believe that the show is the most important thing in their lives. And then sow division within that all the people who like the show, you just make the show play out in a way that will cause some people to go to one side, some people to go to the other side, and then you'll do a bunch of things that will make those people fight. It's like the entire American population is watching the Twilight movies and choosing whether or not to be on the side of the one uh, squinty little 
kung fu vampire or the pale skinned brooding perhaps this guy really might be dead vampire they get on one of the teams and they assume that everyone else on the other team must be the worst person in the world and then they argue about the morality of which team they chose and based on how the people are feeling about the arguments they're having the regime can insert more issues into the discussion for them to argue about. Eventually, all that matters is that narrative because behind the scenes, the regime who is selecting candidates from the uniparty left and the uniparty right to go serve in office, that regime is directing those candidates on what they are to do while they're in office. And while they are in office, the candidates implement the agenda. Now, are they able to steal every election everywhere all the time? It seems like maybe they're not. And why is that? That has been one of the great mysteries of the last few years. How exactly are these elections being stolen? And how is it possible to prevent these steals in certain cases, like when Donald Trump won in 2016? Is it possible to simply overwhelm the polls and the machines? It seems like the answer to that at this point is definitely no, because we watch them take days and weeks after elections to continue piling in more ballots to supplement and fill out whatever numbers they needed to accomplish within the machines. It seems like some element of the process is up for being turned off at any point, and it seems like Trump or the people around Trump are able to do that. And when they do that, it seems to produce results that don't make very much sense in what we are told, the sorts of results that the central narrative can't explain. Now, I'm going to say quite clearly that I do not have all of this nailed down. I am sharing my thought process on the podcast right now. I am trying to develop a full understanding of how this works based on a pretty keen attention to election fraud issues and the election fraud system over the last three years. Now, this all came up for me this week because an article from the Independent UK last June, 27 June 2022, popped up in one of my feeds, and this is the headline. DeSantis wants January 6th hearings to get Trump indicted, report claims. Okay, so late June 2022, right when we were getting into the mix with the whole January 6th primetime spectacular television show, it was reported that Ron DeSantis wanted Trump to be indicted to improve his own political position. Here is the article. Ron DeSantis sees the January 6th hearings as a possible way for former President Donald Trump to be indicted, according to a report. A Republican consultant told Politico over the weekend, that's where his head is at. He thinks the goal here is to get Maine justice to go after him, to go after Trump. That's what Ron thinks this is all about. The consultant, said to be familiar with the governor's thinking, told the outlet. So a consultant familiar with the governor's thinking. Now, to be objective, not a cult member like the crazy Ron people, I will give Ron the benefit of the doubt and say exactly what I say when Trump is the subject. A consultant familiar with the governor's thinking could be absolutely anybody who just 
says, I think this is what's going on with DeSantis. There is no reason to trust that this quote accurately portrays what Ron DeSantis is thinking about a Trump indictment, about January 6th, or about whether or not Trump will be taken off the board so that Ron can advance politically. Let's just disregard all that. But the consultant added that Mr. DeSantis is more focused on winning re-election in Florida by a larger margin than the 3.2 points that Mr. Trump won the state by in 2020. So according to this consultant, the establishment, people around Ron, Ron himself, wanted Ron to win by more in Florida than Trump won by in 2020. Trump won by 3.2 points. They want Ron to win by more in Florida so that Ron looks strong after his win. People who saw Trump talk about how he won 1.2 million more votes in Florida in 2020 than Ron did in the recent midterm got very upset. They said, what does Trump mean? This is so stupid. Everybody knows that midterms have lower turnout as if that explains anything. That doesn't explain away the problem there. If Ron is the most popular Republican governor in the world and Republicans are moving to Florida in massive numbers because of Ron, then they should certainly be able and expected and happy to go out and vote for Ron DeSantis for his next term as governor. You'd think that they already went out and did it for Trump in 2020. Why wouldn't they go out and do it for Ron as governor in 2022 when Ron is the most popular guy ever? But somehow 1.2 million Trump voters from 2020 sat out Ron's election, even though more Republicans were in Florida than ever before, according to everything that these people say. There is nothing within the official story or the central narrative about Ron that explains that problem. And Ron supporters say that problem doesn't matter. It's not a problem. Trump's being crazy. What does he mean? This is so stupid. At the same time, if this political consultant is to be believed, they wanted Ron to win by more than Trump because that would make Ron look stronger than Trump. Should we suspect that this political consultant has no idea what Ron's thinking is? Doesn't matter if we do or don't. Either way, there's a good chance that this consultant does know how establishment politics in the GOP work. That much is a certainty. The governor, a strong favorite to win another term as governor later this year, is set to break state level fundraising records in Florida. He raised tons and tons of money for his governor's race last year against Charlie Crist, a total non-entity, non-candidate. That is not what a serious Democrat party trying to win a governorship in Florida does with the nomination. They'll say Florida voters wanted a very uh, centrist candidate. They didn't want to go with one of the more extreme progressive candidates, not in a state like Florida, where Ron DeSantis's brand of conservatism is going to win the day. So they chose Charlie Crist, a more nondescript, totally nondescript Democrat that would go head to head with Ron DeSantis. Oh, he's really going to mix it up with Ron DeSantis. Ooh. Charlie Crist is a joke, just like Terry McAuliffe was a joke in Virginia when they ran him against Glenn Youngkin and gave Glenn Youngkin a 51 to 49 Dominion win and then said, everybody's elections are very safe and very secure. Just look at Virginia. This deep blue state just went red one year after Joe Biden won president 
by 10 points in Virginia. Now Glenn Youngkin wins governor. Ooh, look at that flip. Look how very safe and secure our elections are in Virginia. All we had to do was run a non-entity Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton stooge, DNC stooge, Terry McAuliffe, and he would figure out a way to lose by two points. What a swing for Glenn Youngkin. Our elections are very safe. Our elections are very secure. So against Ron DeSantis, the Democrats ran Charlie Crist, a 100% certain loser, rather than putting up an ideological candidate, a young candidate who might appeal to new voters, maybe someone who speaks out in populist fashion, kind of the way that Bernie Sanders did, but without so much blatant communism and utter stupidity, be real, racially progressive, but maybe not quite so offensive. Why didn't they take the fight to Ron? They could have at least created a national figure with name recognition just in the debates and the battle against DeSantis, the big evil Republican, the Trump light in Florida. But they didn't bother. They didn't bother at all. They just said, yeah, okay, Charlie Crist. And how did they win Charlie Crist's primary? Did Democrat voters not care? We were told that millennials and Zoomers won the day for the Democrats in the last midterm. Well, where were all those millennials and Zoomers in the Democrat primary last year? They just took the day off too, just like those 1.2 million Republicans did who voted for Trump but didn't vote for DeSantis. Man, these voters, they're so highly motivated at certain times when the narrative needs them. And then they just disappear completely when the narrative doesn't. So all the Democrats, the millennials and Zoomers came out to vote in the midterms. They were so important, but they sat out the primaries and let Charlie Crist become the Democrat nominee. And the Democrat Party just said, nah, we don't need to make a national name for one of our rising young stars. Let's just leave it to Charlie Crist. And you can see pretty clearly that that election was just handed to Ron. And similarly, the Jacksonville mayoral race was handed to the Democrats. And the whole time, both parties, the Uniparty right, the Uniparty left, they agree that the elections are safe and secure. They're safe and secure in Virginia. They're safe and secure in Florida. But let's get back to this article. The outlet previously reported that Mr. DeSantis isn't intending to seek Mr. Trump's endorsement for his reelection, despite him aiding his political rise. So last year, Ron is not looking for Trump's endorsement in his reelection bid as governor. Now, it's also important to remember that Ron DeSantis's campaign for president started right before the midterms where he was reelected as governor. He already had his comms team in place. And the moment that Donald Trump said to sanctimonious the weekend before the midterms, that entire comms team went absolutely bonkers, exposing the fact that they exist and what they exist to do. Immediately, it became Absolutely obvious that Ron DeSantis was going to be running for president, which confirms this prior reporting about DeSantis not wanting Trump's endorsement, not seeking Trump's endorsement, wanting to win by more than Trump had won. He had all of this in place while he was running for reelection in Florida. He already knew that he was going to run for president, but rather than promoting another Republican in Florida to run for the governorship 
of Florida, he ran anyway, and he did all the fundraising and accepted all that money in knowing that he was going against a fake candidate. The Republicans could have put up anybody and Ron's endorsement actually would have been powerful. And that Republican to replace Ron could have gone against a young Democrat and they could have had an ideological battle and they would have both become national names. That is what political parties are designed to do ideally. But instead, what do they do? They run a guy who is about to leave office immediately, who's about to start running for president before he even gets reelected governor. And they put him up against a former governor, former Republican, political hack who is well past his prime and no one cared about initially to begin with, Charlie Crist. And that was the race. A guy who is not going to be governor and is going to run for president running against a guy who was governor before is definitely not going to be governor and is only in the race to lose to DeSantis. But the political process plays out and the money keeps coming in. Now, who is this Republican consultant? We're not going to figure it out, but all of Ron's comms team that's doing the DeSantis simp operation and has for the last seven months, they all met with Ron in the governor's mansion in January of 2022, and they've been on board ever since. So none of this is new. All of this has been going on for a long time, and they knew at the time what Ron would be doing. So is this consultant one of those people? We don't know, but we know that people like that we're around Ron and saying and thinking about these issues because that is proven beyond doubt. But let's see what else the consultant has to say. A five point win. And I think he would be off to the races. The consultant told Politico January 6th or not. The fact that he is not seeking Trump's endorsement, I think, says everything you need to know. So he's not going to seek Trump's endorsement. He wants to be president. He wants to run for president in 2024 while he's running for governor in 2022. And the consultants believe that a five point win would show strength over Donald Trump's three point two point win and help propel Ron to the presidency. So a five point win in the Florida governor's race last fall was the goal. Now, the article goes on telling the whole official story about the hearings and how much the hearings were going to damage Donald Trump and blah, blah, blah. GOP donor Dan Eberhardt told Politico that, quote, Trump is facing an important onslaught of negative facts with these hearings, and there is no real defense. He has no friendly members on the committee, and there aren't facts to be put in front of the public to make any of this sound less bad. Ron DeSantis is lying in wait, sharpening his knives, he added. And let's get to some even crazier elitism from the Ron side of things. A DeSantis advisor told the outlet that, quote, the January 6th hearings are a continuation of the exhausting circus that surrounds Trump. There are, of course, the lunchbox Republicans who think this is a mass conspiracy. But among the donor class, many are just tired of this, the advisor said. It's a shit show. Some donors are getting sick of the shit show. So everybody in the donor class wants to move on from Trump. They don't want to relitigate 2020, except about COVID. They don't want the mean tweets. They don't want to keep thinking. This is so stupid. What does it mean? I tweeted the other day. I just want Trump to shut up and go away. I said, this is a position held by adults who think they are highly sophisticated about politics. Every polite conversation with anti-Trump people eventually turns into exactly that. They justify it by saying everyone will be happy again. 
And this is really what people believe. They just want Trump to shut up and go away. And if Trump does that, everything's going to be fine. That is what people told themselves when they voted for Joe Biden in the fall of 2020. And it didn't work, did it? It's got nothing to do with Trump. But everybody wants Trump to shut up and go away, including the Republican establishment and the donor class and all the people supporting Ron, including his advisors and the people in the comms team that have been there since early 2022. Now, remember, Ron DeSantis told the voters of Florida, put me back in office so I can be your governor for the next four years while already operating his campaign, his shadow campaign to run for president. It was already operational before the midterms. There is no morally justifiable explanation for that. I'm sorry, especially if you're going to go out and claim that election fraud doesn't happen. So the consultant class wanted a five point win for Ron DeSantis over Charlie Crist so that they could say that Florida is a purple state. It's a purple state, but Ron DeSantis is the guy. Floridians stand behind Ron DeSantis's leadership. That is why he has achieved this big five point win over Charlie Crist, who isn't a real candidate, but still beat Ron DeSantis in their only debate. Nonetheless, Ron is very smart. What a five point win, except they didn't get a five point win, did they? They got a 20 point win, an absolute blowout in Florida. How did it happen? They were expecting a close win and they got a 20 point win. That's really strange. Now, Ron was polling around five to 10 points ahead of Charlie Crist for most of last year. That changed at the very end of September. So five weeks before the election, he finally broke 10%. He was getting plus eight, plus three, plus four, plus five, plus seven throughout August and early September. And finally, at the end of September, they got a plus 11 from the Mason-Dixon poll. And then he got plus 11, plus 12, plus 14, plus 10, plus 12, plus 10, plus 15. The final real clear politics average in polling for DeSantis after it jumped up was 12.2. And Ron ended up with a 20 point win. So how does that happen? And maybe this is the answer. This is from FloridaPolitics.com on November 7th, 2022. Donald Trump offers last minute endorsement of Ron DeSantis election. Trump's Ron DeSanctimonious diss was not repeated in Florida. Former President Donald Trump took a break from attacking Ron DeSantis Sunday during a rally in the governor's home state. But questions remain about how long this armistice holds. Less than 24 hours after dubbing him Ron DeSanctimonious during a rally in Pennsylvania, Trump steered clear of expanding criticism during a Miami event. Instead, he endorsed his reelection. You're going to reelect Ron DeSantis as governor of your state, he said, finally endorsing after months of narrative suggesting Trump and DeSantis were at odds. He did tease running for president again, as he has since beginning his post White House rallies last year. I will probably have to do it again, but stay tuned, Trump said, to chance of four more years. Stay tuned tomorrow night in Ohio. So Trump gave Ron DeSantis his endorsement about two days before the election, after DeSantis had continually tried to create space. People around him were trying to create space. Again, if you don't want to think that it's Ron, fine. 
the people around him, the people in the GOP establishment, the people supporting him have been explicitly anti-Trump for the last eight years. If you want to pretend that Ron's not part of that or, you know, propose that Ron's not part of that, maybe you're right. Small possibility, but maybe you're right. All good. This isn't about attacking Ron. Remember, it's not anti-Ron. It's anti-pro-Ron relative to Trump. So what do we have? We have Ron and the consultant class wanting a win around five points back in June. So we're talking the end of June, four months, July, August, September, October. You got the election at the beginning of November. So you got four months, maybe four and a half months between when that article came out, when Politico did that reporting and the actual election. They wanted a five point win. By the end of September, they had it looking like maybe it could be an eight point win, according to real clear politics polls throughout October. They had it around 10, 12, sometimes spiking to 14 or 15, but 10, 11, 12, average 12 at the end. Donald Trump endorses last minute skyrockets to 20. They also had far bigger wins than Republicans expected in Georgia, where Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams, one of the Democrat superstars by a large margin, and in Texas where Greg Abbott, a Trump-endorsed candidate, beat Beto O'Rourke by a wider-than-expected margin. And we had a bunch of other strange outcomes as well throughout the 2022 midterm elections and in elections prior as well. You might remember that in 2020, Donald Trump endorsed Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, both expected to have close re-election races. Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. We were told again and again how much money the Democrats were spending in order to win these races, and they thought they really had a chance. And then Trump endorsed them, and they had these massive blowout wins, huge wins, far bigger than expected. And you can go through and find countless other examples where this phenomenon occurs, where this is true, where the endorsement holds all this sway. That changes the results completely. Now, let's think about how these results can be changed, right? And let's think about this endorsement as an on-off switch that affects the ability of the global regime to successfully complete the election as they intended using election fraud to accomplish the outcomes that are required for their narrative play to advance the agenda they want. I hope that makes sense, okay? What I am suggesting here is that the election fraud in certain instances can be thwarted and that Democrats' plans, the regime plans, sometimes it's the uniparty right and not the uniparty left, but that the regime's plans can be thwarted. They are trying to design narratives to support certain outcomes, and those outcomes will then support the agenda push once those people are in office. It makes them look ridiculous when the results are absolutely absurd and totally unsupported by the narrative. And if they get candidates in office they weren't expecting to have in office, it not only ruins all their deals, it also ruins everything in terms of the optics and the narrative about what politicians around the country are able to implement in terms of the regime's agenda. We end up with Republicans like Larry Hogan in Maryland or Spencer Cox in Utah pushing overtly Democrat policies 
with Democrats in tow, we end up with all sorts of weird results. And think about this a little further. So if what Trump has is an on off switch and he can thwart the election fraud or the extent of election fraud in a given situation, then it makes it impossible for the regime to know what the outcomes of the elections are going to be relative to the narrative. They might still get their chosen winner. It just might look ridiculous and impossible the way that it happened, or they might not get their chosen winner at all. Because they're choosing winners for both sides. So if Trump says that he endorses a Republican candidate and the regime believes that means Trump is going to attempt to thwart the election fraud effort in a given place, that means they have to flood in their part of the effort in early voting or whatever else to get their candidate across the finish line so that whatever Trump does doesn't have its effect. Now, if Trump carries through and thwarts their efforts, then maybe they have done what's necessary to have the results correspond to their narrative agenda. But if Trump just decides, nope, I'm not going to thwart it, then all of a sudden they get a blowout win and they end up with a candidate in office that they didn't want in office. Again, they're making deals with the other side. No, it's the uniparty right candidate who's supposed to win. No, it's the uniparty left candidate who's supposed to win. He can do it the other direction as well. Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham winning by a wide margin in 2020 showed the country that Republicans are really out there supporting Donald Trump and that Donald Trump's endorsement must mean a whole lot because we were told we were going to see really close races. There was a chance that these old school uniparty figures could be taken out by these young, vibrant Democrats. But it didn't happen. Trump had massive coattails and it made a big difference across the country. All of these new Republicans winning everywhere, except not Donald Trump, not Donald Trump. And let's think about some other weirdness, because this applies in the primaries as well. The regime is able to dictate the outcome of elections in primaries, and that sets them up to dictate the outcome of elections in the general election. And all they need to do the entire time is make sure to control everything in the narrative and everything about the candidates display to the public, what the public needs to see. And we will get the results required to continue implementing the agenda. Now, maybe both candidates are regime candidates and they'll let the battle play out knowing that either side is an appropriate winner On behalf of the regime, the point is to keep anti-regime candidates out of there. And that's what they have the primaries for. You remember they put up a primary challenger for Carrie Lake in the governor's race last year. Her name was Karen Taylor Robeson. She was the wife of some rich, prominent Arizona man. And she was never in politics before at all. The GOP establishment brought her in, ran her against Carrie Lake and tried to take down Carrie Lake in the primary. They tried to take that one into overtime and steal it from Carrie Lake in Pennsylvania. They put Dave McCormick up. He was supposed to be the Senate candidate and Trump brought in Dr. Oz. The establishment tried to steal that race for Dave McCormick and they extended past the date of the primary in order to try to do it. Dave McCormick was supposed to come in to face off against John Fetterman. John Fetterman is a walking vaccine negative side effect. 
he had a stroke and he could barely run his campaign. He came back unable to speak and still won. Was he supposed to win? Would he have defeated Dave McCormick? It's possible that Fetterman would have bowed out. Dave McCormick would have won. He would have been a regime Republican candidate in there. They still could have told everybody that Pennsylvania is still very blue, but Fetterman, he just didn't win. But Governor Josh Shapiro won. Governor Josh Shapiro won. He beat that crazy guy, Doug Mastriano, that MAGA QAnon guy. It's a very blue state. That's how they beat Trump in 2020. That's how Josh Shapiro won. And if John Fetterman hadn't been facing off against Dr. Oz, if he was facing off against Dave McCormick, well, Dave McCormick, the establishment candidate, would have won. And they could have just said, hey, you know, Fetterman, he lost because of his physical condition and nobody can blame him. Pennsylvania is still a very blue state, but they didn't get that opportunity, did they? The whole thing is very strange. What would have happened if the Trump endorsement had not happened? How would all of that have played out? How would the Fetterman narrative have been spun? And here's another question that's going to give you a lot to think about. Why was there such a big push last year to get Donald Trump to denounce the COVID vaccine and take responsibility for that whole thing onto himself? And was the timing any factor there? This is what I am thinking about right now. I hope I have explained it in a way that at least makes some sense and gives you something to think about and patterns to look for in the future. Because I think that there is something particular about this Trump endorsement that adds an element of confusion into the regime's plan and creates a lot of outcomes that they have a hard time dealing with. It's not just that the candidate who was supposed to win lost and the candidate who was supposed to lose won. It's that they get outcomes the narrative is not equipped to handle and the narrative is all that matters. So when they get those outcomes that don't correspond to the narrative push, then what happens is all sorts of confusion among the public. People begin seeing all the cracks forming. Why are Republicans doing this? Why are Democrats doing this? Why is this red state pushing all the same policies that California is pushing? How is all of this happening? Where is the explanation? And there is no explanation. And then you think back to 2018 and remember that Ron DeSantis wasn't supposed to be the guy. Adam Putnam was supposed to be the guy in 2018. Adam Putnam was supposed to be the Republican nominee for governor to go up against Andrew Gillum, the guy who is a gay meth addict who was caught in a hotel room with a gay escort and meth. Was Putnam supposed to face Gillum with Gillum winning and that all got mixed up? Because DeSantis beat Putnam, then DeSantis beat Gillum. And what would have happened if Gillum was governor throughout COVID? Would he have gone along with the program? Because DeSantis talked against the COVID program in Florida. But as we discussed yesterday, he kind of went along with the whole thing. And we got those huge death numbers. Now, I don't have all the answers here, but I know that there is a connection here and a much clearer picture is beginning to form. So if you were able to bear with me throughout the duration of can't hear Trump part one, can't hear Trump part two, and the Trump endorsement, congratulations. You might think I'm totally crazy right now, or you might be like, yeah, I think he's really onto something. And that is exactly how it works because that's what I'm thinking. I think that this is probably very close to how it works. And we are seeing the results 
of a system that was thrown out of balance by Donald Trump. It does not make sense that Ron DeSantis just ran for governor and is now running for president, especially not when you layer on the idea that Florida's elections are very safe and very secure. And also Ron is the most popular Republican governor imaginable in Florida and also lost a mayoral race last week in Jacksonville to a Democrat after a 16 point swing. And they wanted a five point win. They thought they maybe would get a 10 point win or so. And it ended up 20. How is it possible? And the answer is either these are all just ridiculous coincidences, very low probability events that just keep happening centered around the same collection of events or the whole system is rigged. And there is a variable in the equation that the regime seems unable to account for. I think it's the second picture, and I think we're drawing closer to understanding that. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, You can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that 
is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!